Good morning, everyone. I am Laurel Vasquez. I am the group life pastor here at Rancho, and I am thrilled to be here with all of you today. As we were looking into our sermon series and came up with the title, Forever Changed, I started thinking about how have I been forever changed in 2020? It seems like a long eight months. When we started this series, we started with a statement. It said, perhaps the turmoil of 2020 can create a change in us to be more thoughtful, contemplative, peaceful, and a humble people of faith. These past eight months have forever changed me. I can't pinpoint the exact moment or time when that happened, but I know that I've been changed. I've thought a lot of justice, mercy, and walking humbly with my God. I've thought a lot about how we treat one another with so many different obstacles seemingly in our way that makes it difficult to treat everybody how we know we want to be treated. But this idea of justice didn't just come to me in 2020. In fact, I've been thinking about it for a long time, and I had a really significant season in my life where I contemplated and meditated on what does it mean to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. One of those seasons was over 20 years ago. I remember the day really clearly. I was headed out to my doctor. I was 19 weeks pregnant. And when I got to the doctor's office, he started asking, you know, all the the usual questions and checking in on my pregnancy. We were so thrilled to be able to have another baby. We'd had one after so many years of trying, and then instantly it seemed like we were going to have another one. But the doctor looked at me, and he chided me a little bit, and he said, Laura Lynn, you're gaining a little too much weight. And, And I was actually really embarrassed, and I thought to myself, Oh, my. And I I mumbled something silly such as, I think I ate too much Chinese food and the sodium maybe is causing some swelling. I don't know. Just, you don't ask a woman about her weight when she's pregnant. I mean, it was really tricky. But then it was concerning to him. And he said, look, we need to do an ultrasound. So we did an ultrasound and found out that I was having twins. And in that moment, it was exciting. It was thrilling. But then at the same time, within a few minutes, he said, but... And those words, that word is difficult, but there is some difficulty and we need to send you out to a specialist. So within a few moments, I went from joy to really uncertainty, disappointment, fear, what on earth was happening. And and within a couple weeks, I was sent to a perinatologist with my husband. And when we got to the perinatologist, it was really tricky. Um, He actually said that we needed to terminate the pregnancy. I was devastated. My husband was devastated. We we couldn't believe that these were the words that we were hearing. And and at that time, he started telling us, like, there's a chance that one of the babies could live. There's two hospitals in the United States that could could terminate one and not the other. But, But regardless, if you keep either one or both of these babies, they're gonna have difficulty. They're gonna have a really tough time. And this was devastating, obviously. And and as he was talking, I felt this like cloud come over my head and and I kind of tuned him out. And I remember hearing the words of, you know, they would be a cost to our culture. They would be a cost to you. And and hearing those words, I just, I froze. I absolutely froze. And and we went home, my husband and I, and, and it was devastating. But I remember on the car ride home, us saying, we trust and our God. We know who our God is, no matter how this turns out. But it was still difficult. 
there was still wrestling that I had to do. And, and it wasn't my faith that I was wrestling to endure. Like I knew God loved me and I knew he was here for me and, and that, you know, things would turn out. But I didn't know how they would turn out. There was something else that I was grappling with. I had a little more contemplation to do. I needed some quiet time with my Lord. And, and it was at that time that I actually went to Genesis. Genesis 1.27 says, that, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I knew life was in me. I knew that I was going to let God determine whether these babies lived or died. And it wasn't the argument of, of when life begins because I felt my babies move. I knew that there was something going on. And, and we as a family, my husband and I, we were going to wrestle this out. We were told the babies were viable, but there would be difficulties. Was it because of the difficulty that I was to terminate or was it because of something else? I was told my life wasn't necessarily in danger, but the big question was, is it cruel to bring special need humans into our world? These were my honest wrestlings. In the beginning, God created. In his image, did he mean some people or only those with all of their fingers and toes, or only those with the right chromosomes, or only those with the right brain, whatever. What did he mean when he said he created people in his image? In the beginning, life began. Genesis lays this out so beautifully for us. In the beginning, the light was good, is how it starts. And, and then the heavens and the earth and the sky and the vegetation and the animals and the birds of the air and, and even down to the bugs. This life was all good. And then there were humans. What was different about the humans? They weren't just listed in like the thing like, you know, this was good, this was good, this was good. There was something significantly and powerfully different. These humans, we were created in the image of God. Very specific. What an incredible gift, this picture, to be created in the image of God. But did the image of God mean that people who look and act typical are part of a majority? Or are image bearers? Of course not. It hit me. When did we start believing that some lives mattered more than others? When did we start believing that if something was too complicated or difficult, maybe we needed to discard? God is still with his people after the fall. In fact, when he gives us this vision of in the beginning and the garden, and it's so beautiful, I often thought that it just kind of stopped there. But after the fall, we still see that God is still with Eve. In fact, she says that when she gave birth, that God was with her. But there was something very different that happened. All of a sudden, we see the story of brother against brother, Cain and Abel. And then we see that man is just destructive and horrible to women and, and bringing terror, as we see in, with Lamech in chapter 4. And, and then there's war and violence on the earth, and very few people are treating others as in the image of God. In all of Genesis, our first book of the Bible just lays it out. After the fall, it's horrific what humans do 
to one another. One another, we kill, we lie, we steal, we destroy, we gossip, we slander, we hate. We do what we can to have the most power. It's this tribalism that we are in our tribe and people think and look and act and believe like we do. And if not, we want to destroy. With my pregnancy, did I believe no matter what happened that our babies were created in the image of God? Did that mean that they looked and acted typical or part of the majority? Would the world see our babies as created in the image of God? How would they be treated? Would they be treated with kindness and respect? Would they be bullied at school? Would people want to look away because they were embarrassed? Would the Christian church want to be their friends? These were my grapplings. Colorism, ageism, sexism, ableism, and all the other isms and prejudices out there are all tools to keep us from seeing everyone as being created in the image of God. These tools are destructive. Everyone is to be free. Everyone is to be loved, cherished, treated with respect and dignity and cared for. Everyone is to be included in our lives. You know, the Old Testament is this one big foreshadowing. And, and there's a lot in there that I don't understand. But there's also all these like gems throughout where God is telling the people how to treat each other. And one of them is in Micah 6.8 where it is said, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. Yet, it doesn't just start there or stop there. In fact, we know then that Jesus comes, this New Testament, this new covenant, this new idea that actually we had just heard about in Micah to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. But then Jesus comes on the scene. And this Jesus is something that someone that nobody's ever seen before. It's radical. It's different. He's turning over the whole world at that time. And we read in John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I has loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then we got John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And, and he doesn't stop there. He continues on to John 15, 17. These things I command you that you may love one another. Jesus comes and he tells us to love one another. There's no qualification on who we're to love, not certain people or, or a way people look or people act, but we are just to love. And you know why? It's because we're all created in the image of God. And here's a phenomenal truth that I love about Jesus. Jesus did not just sit back and wait for people to come to him. In fact, there is story after story in the New Testament of where he went, where he just happened to be, where people who did come to him, he was ready for. He knew, he knew the outcome. Jesus came not only to restore and bring back the garden, but we get to be a part of his plan, his instruments, his gardeners in his garden. We have the privilege to go and seek out those who are marginalized, those who are hurting, those who are being treated as less than, and we get to love them. We're not only to treat people as like ornaments, you know, like, oh yeah, I got that friend over there, or, or oh yeah, you know, I, I know their name, they go to church with me. No, we actually get to be their friends. 
And being someone's friend, it takes work. It takes time to get to know their stories, get to know who they are. But we get the privilege to become friends with all types of people. We see this example in John 4, the woman at the well. This is a super familiar story for many of you. Yet the more that I read it and study, the richer the personality and who God is comes out to me. I am seeing the heart of Jesus like I have never seen when I read some of these stories over and over. And, and so this story, it starts out with the apostles. So they are ministering with John the Baptist. And there's some squabbles that are taking place. So Jesus seemingly in humility says, hey, you know what, guys, we're going to leave. And so Jesus leaves Judea to go up to Galilee. And it's a couple days walk. I mean, it's going to take them some time to get there. You know, there's no cars in that day. So they're walking up the road. And, and it is about midday at this time. And they're hungry. So the apostles go to get food, and Jesus, he then goes to what's called Jacob's well. And they say, the um, scripture, the passage says, it's the middle of the day. And, and I wonder, why is that significant? Well, you're not going to be grabbing water in the middle of the day with the rest of the people. It's hot. You're going to want to go in the morning or in the evening when it's cooling down. So that's when the majority of the people were going. But as Jesus is there, a Samaritan woman comes, and she comes to draw water. And Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? Now, this may not seem significant, but it's astonishing. And she responds, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. He goes on to tell her about this living water that he has for her, and, and she wonders how she's going to get it, and he tells her that she's never going to be thirsty again, and, and there's some excitement there and how amazing this eternal life and water is, but something else is taking place here, something that I don't want us to overlook. In verse 16, he says, he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied, and Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. And then later says, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. And just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And then it continues. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. So the character who occupies the main center stage of this passage is a Samaritan woman. John goes out of his way to tell us this at the beginning. We need to know this piece of information. Jesus, Jews at that time, thought that Samaritans were less than. There was a cultural divide at that time. It was a contentious time and, and really difficult. And, and as I read this passage, it seems that the woman actually responds a little curt seemingly strong. You might even say she was an angry woman who was just calling the discrepancies out. Let's look at it again. 
the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Can you hear her frustration? First, Jews and Samaritans don't get along. Second, men and women generally keep a safe distance, socially distancing before COVID, right? That's how they were at that time, apart from each other. Women in this culture, they weren't valued. They were easily discarded. They were used for what they could give a man. It was a place in society and, and for you know, children. It was just a really difficult time back then. And, and all of this explains why she is so surprised when Jesus asks her for a drink. When she makes the comment, Jesus offers her living water. But this is confusing, but she's interested and she asks about it. Jesus eventually invites her to call her husband. And, and when she replies that she has no husband, he says, yeah, you're right. The one you have now is not your husband. These five husbands often become the center part of the scripture. It's what people want to focus on. But I want to focus on it for a different reason. Because these five husbands is not about sin. He is not calling her to repentance. There was something different going on here. There was a lot of divorce happening in that time. In fact, in Matthew 19, it says that you're not to discard your wife. Divorce was rampant and it was happening then. And Jesus had talked about it saying, no, don't do this. And so here was this woman, five times she had been discarded. Five times on her own, having to tend and care for herself. We don't know if she had children or not, but this is horrible. This was an injustice that was happening. This woman, she knew pain. This woman knew prejudice. She knew what it was like to be marginalized. Yet Jesus is calling her to life. He is re-establishing her. This is justice. Jesus is establishing that this woman and woman from here on out have a place, that they too are created in the image of God. Even though Jesus is crossing this tremendous boundary of being a Jewish single man speaking to a multi-married woman, he meets her in her deepest need. He goes to her and he establishes that she too is created in the image of God. She then goes out and she shares the good news. This is exciting. This marginalized, this outcast, this woman is one of the first missionaries putting, pointing others to Jesus this is justice. In verse 39, it says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Because of her faith journey, others believed in Jesus. Others heard the gospel. With Jesus, he raises the marginalized. He brings honor and dignity to them. He sees the image of God in them. I find this beautiful. Who do we know that we can raise up? Who may feel not seen or not heard or not cared for? Who can we go to like Jesus did? He knew she was going to be at the well. Latasha Morrison, she's written a book, Be the Bridge, God's Heart for Reconciliation. And, and she writes, as Christians, we have not just the ability but the God-given mandate to pursue justice for those being hurt. This is what Jesus modeled to us throughout the scriptures. 
God sees and cares about people on the margins. And we, the church, get to be a part of bringing the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Get to be a part of being gardeners in God's garden. We get to be a part of loving one another. How cool would it be to be known as a place where everyone belongs, where everyone has friends, and where everyone, where we are united living out the gospel? I know we've had some rough times in 2020. In the words of Scott Treadway, what if we reimagined a future where the church led the way in affirming the full humanity and dignity of all? What if? This is a phenomenal vision for us. And then listen to the psalmist in chapter 72, verse 4. Help him to defend the poor, to rescue the children of the needy, and to crush their oppressors. God sees and cares about all people, and we get to as well. We, the church, get the joy of advocating and being a part of setting up systems that bring equality, that bring humanity, that bring love and life to our brothers and our sisters. Jesus modeled new systems for us. Now we get to do that for the world today. Jesus' work on the cross, it liberates us liberates us from the man-made hierarchies and systems that were created to oppress, push aside, or push down other image bearers. I want to say that again. Jesus' work on the cross liberates us from man-made hierarchies and systems that were created to oppress, push aside, or push down other image bearers. Back to my twins. My twin girls might have issues their whole life. They might not be considered mainstream. In fact, I was told they would probably not make it to adulthood and they might die at a young age. They might be looked down upon, mocked, made fun of, bullied at school. But they were image bearers. They were created in the image of God. And when I sat down with Jesus during that time of my wrestling and my husband and I, we knew we got the privilege of being advocates for them. We knew that we got the privilege of seeing them, seeing who they were and Christ's purpose in their lives. I knew I needed to trust Jesus. What if we as a church acknowledge that all life is created in the image of God? Maybe, just maybe, Jesus is calling us to an incredible amount of patience, love, and embracing differences. It's helpful to understand the power and the importance of an individual as well as collective identity. And I think we struggle with that, especially here in the United States. This individual about me as well as how am I a part of a collective group. And and just as Paul wrote, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one. In Christ Jesus. These characteristics have a significant impact on the lives of those who occupied those names, male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. Paul here is calling us beyond the normal, beyond what's accepted and the comfortable, not to hide behind these realities because they do exist. I am very much female. Steve and Scott are very much male, but we get to be 
one in Christ. We're not pretending they don't exist, but we're one in Christ. So the church would be a place of radical reorientation, a place where the hierarchies and systems of this world are broken down and not experienced. And Christ followers are all one in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to bring us something new. One of my favorite verses is, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Till all people are loved, valued, and treated with dignity, we as Christ followers get to be a part of advancing the cause of Christ. Together as friends, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we've got this, we can do this. We can make friends with whoever is in this world. Being with families as they make the choice to keep their babies means that we, the church, have a responsibility to come alongside and be there for them. Now, we have our Thrive Ministry and we have our special needs prom, but we can do more. There are individuals out there that desire for deep, lasting friendships with all of us. This is hard work. It is hard work but we can do it. What about right now? Right now, when the single mom has to all of a sudden work and homeschool. These are tricky times we live in. How can we come alongside and be with that mom and be with the kids? Let's help with maybe driving our homework. My friend Ed Masters said to me once in an, in an email recently, he said, may followers, may Jesus followers share an uncommon aligned Focused, accountable unity. An unlined, focused, accountable unity. When this happens, people will see the true light of the world that is truly Jesus' presence. I believe that this unity is to see all humanity created in the image of God. That's what this means, that we together, that there is no one so different from me that I cannot be their friend. I can have shared meaning with those that are very different from me. May we all be aligned for justice, mercy, and the love of one another. And while we're doing that, may we be humble as we walk with our God. 2020 has forever changed me. I could go on and on, but I've given a short amount of time. But one is in the area of justice. Justice. We can ask ourselves questions such as, who are the marginalized in my community? Are we honoring all people as image bearers? How am I and how are we as a church community doing in the area of, advancing, of advocating for the isms? These isms are significant. Ageism, sexism, ableism, racism, sizeism, and more. How are we doing in protecting and supporting all marginalized people? Where can we do better? Did you know, did you know that by the third grade, those that can read and do math are less likely to be incarcerated? Are we committed to helping children with reading and math? One small area that we can impact. Are we committed to stopping human trafficking that happens in our town or child abuse and abandonment? Most of us need help in this area of justice. I know I do. My eyes are being opened more and more. There are so many issues in our world. And historically, the church has done a fabulous job with mercy, with the mercy ministers. 
ministries, but in fact, we are relaunching a mercy ministry, difficult to say, mercy ministry right now that is beautiful and a group of people coming together saying, okay, we've done this, but how can we do better? Mercy stops the bleeding. It's needed just like God said, but justice, justice keeps the wound from happening. We have a new pastor here on staff at Rancho, a new department called our Justice Department. And, and so I want to bring him up. His name is Pastor Dion. So Pastor Dion, come on up. We're going to do some social distancing here. Welcome. Thank you. Dion, I am so excited to have you. As they were... Um, we were dreaming and talking about this department and what it would be like. And, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, all of us wanted to jump in because it's such a heart that we have. And, um, and when your name came up, it was like unanimous. Yes, yes, yes. I had just met you at one of our town hall meetings that was really, really a beautiful and powerful night that we had had. And, and I'd heard about you. Um, so I want to hear a little bit more about you and share with our congregation. So first off, why did you say yes to the part of your job being centered around justice? Well, I love justice. Hmm. I've been a justice warrior my whole life. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think one of the things that people don't understand sometimes is when they have this sense of like, that's not fair. Like, that's not how things should be. Like, that's the Holy Spirit, you know, yeah. awakening something in you to say, mm -hmm. hey, do something about that, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I've been that way since I was a little kid. Um, when I got in trouble in school, um, the only times I really got suspended is when I was fighting a bully <laughs> because they were bullying somebody who couldn't protect themselves. Mm -hmm. And I, I, something about that is just not right. Well, I was yeah. a giant, so I pulled the bully off, and <laughs> we started going at it, you know? So yeah. it was like I, that sense, even when I knew I was going to get in trouble, I knew it was worth it for me to protect that person who mm. could not protect themselves. Yeah. Like it was just impossible against this bully yeah. who was muscular or really strong. But when I stepped in, he couldn't bully me around like that. He couldn't throw me around like that, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I had to step in in that moment for that person or for that child who was being bullied and yeah. couldn't protect themselves. Mm. And I just feel like that's where and what God has called the church to do. There are so many scriptures that where God is like, hey, don't forget the poor, you know? Yeah. Don't forget the, 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 the needy. Don't forget yeah. those who can't protect themselves. Don't forget those who can't speak for themselves, mm -hmm. who can't fight for themselves. Why? Because there are so many things, so many oppressions and, and systems that are against them. And so for me, I've had a, a, a burden on my life, my whole life to fight for justice. That is beautiful. I love that. Um, so you've just shared some of your experience with injustice. You know, mm -hmm. what, what justice issues are dear to your heart? Oh, anything dealing with the babies. Mm. The children, I mean, at all cost, yeah. us as adults, us, those of us who are, you know, pastors and teachers, the, the mandated reporters, mm -hmm. like we have to do everything in our mm. power to Amen. keep these babies safe. Yeah. And, and that means if we have to go through the judicial system, mm -hmm. legis legislation, I always mess that word up. <laughs> Whatever it is that we have to go through in yeah. order to keep the baby safe, we must do that. Yeah. Amen. And, and that's where my heart is. Mm -hmm. Like, 
don't mess with the babies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So how can you bring justice to children in general? Like, like what does this look like? Yeah. You know, I think the most simple way that we can even talk about it and, and go about it is this. Anytime I, whoever the I is, if mm-hmm. I see injustice in front of me, mm-hmm. do something. Yeah. And literally, I always tell people, if you see it, if you're witnessing this, God has literally called you to deal with that situation. Mm-hmm. He's called you to be Jesus there. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's waiting. Come on, let's go. You're my child. You're carrying yeah. Jesus with you. you know, you're carrying the power of God with you. Mm-hmm. You're carrying the, the power of the church behind you. Yeah. And that's exactly what we should be doing. We should be acknowledging mm-hmm. when injustice is there and then doing something about it. And yeah. that's what we can do for all people. So give us a vision. What good fruit can come from um, tackling these justice issues? How about this? <laughs> Jesus said, he was, he was getting on the Pharisees and Sadducees. He said, look, you guys have done all these little things, but there are weightier matters of the Torah or the law that you needed to be paying attention to. Justice, right? Mm-hmm. Love, mercy. Yeah. And, and in those things, in those areas, God is saying, look, that's where the work is. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to do, if you want to be, if you want to, uh, the word tells us, don't just be a, a, a hearer of the word, right? Amen. But, but be a, a doer. doer. Yes. And yes. so when you hear, oh, you need to fight for injustice. If you see that, don't just be the one who hears it and just walks away. If yeah. you want to see fruitfulness come from uh, the, the, the kind of fruitfulness that God wants us to have, yeah. then we have to be Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus would never let any injustice happen in front of him and not address Amen. it directly. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I love it. I am super excited for what, what's going to happen and you being a part of our team and our staff. Yeah. It is going to be thrilling. And we're going to hear more from you tonight, which I'm yes. happy for. So everybody come on out so we can hear more and learn more. So thank you. Thank you so much Absolutely. for being here. Yes, well, I'm going to wrap up. Um, you know, what is on your heart when it comes to injustice, when it comes to justice? So people might be asking what happened to the twins. They have and continue to surprise me. They're doing great. One was born at two pounds. Another was born at five pounds. They have hit every marker that we thought that they would. One just finished college and the other well in December. And and God has done um, beautiful things in our lives. My kids continue to show me how to live justly, how to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. I'm going to close this out with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for continuing to guide us, continuing to show us how to love you more, how to be your image bearers. Father, I ask that you just continue to give us wisdom, guide us, speak to us, Holy Spirit, when we are wrong, and show us how to make it right. Give us the courage to speak up for injustice. In your name, amen.